Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Evan Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest. And we're back today uh, to bring you more news from the past week. And today's episode is a little bit, you know, it's, it's special because today is September 11th and it's actually the 20-year anniversary uh, for September 11th, which, as we know, was an awful event that this country will never, ever forget. Uh, because we did lose over 3,000 people on that day, uh, on September 11th, 20 years ago to the day. So make sure, um, you, you know, you're, you, you recognize that that happened, but also recognize those that are still suffering with the after effects of that. I mean, so just make sure you get a better understanding of that and also understand that President Biden, um, is planning to hopefully declassify some documents about the September 11th attacks. And so uh, with that, we're going to get into our show, and that's actually going to be our very first topic, actually, uh, and our very first discussion. And so uh, we really wanted to kind of start with just talking about more broadly how the, the country has changed after 9-11. Um, you may not know this, but, you know, we're so used to TSA and, and heightened security at airports, but it actually didn't used to be like that. When, you, when we think about getting on a plane, uh, we think about the security and have to go through scanners and all this stuff, taking off your shoes, your belt buckles. Um, but if you go back to before 9-11, things were actually very different. There were security screening, but it wasn't nearly as intrusive. Uh, there were no long checkout lines. Passengers and their families could actually walk right up to the gate, which meant you could actually hug somebody up until the very last moment before they got on the plane. Um, this was something that's unconceivable for me, Adrian. I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, TSA was actually created two months after the 9-11 attacks. And then just some other ways the country has changed, not just with the heightened security at the airports, but we also saw kind of a backlash to it with seeing a rise in anti-Islamic violence in this country, which jumped after the attacks. Even the FBI reported that hate crimes uh, committed in 2000, there were 28 hate crimes in 2000 that were found to be anti-Islamic. In 2001, that jumped to 481. And ever since 2001, it's remained above 100 in every single year. And so uh, just even, you know, just continue on some of the ways that the country has changed. We lost a lot of our privacy uh, because of what was called the Patriot Act or the USA slash Patriot Act, which was really a revision of the surveillance laws in this country and really expanded the government surveillance state, giving it essentially the authority to spy on its own citizens. Um, and so not only have we given up our privacy, we have more security at our airports and we fought two wars when we were fighting, you know, the war on terror and we just ended our longest war in Afghanistan. So Adrian, uh, when you talk about how the country has changed over 20 years, it's been drastic, you know, whether it's security, privacy, fighting wars abroad in Muslim countries, and then also seeing that anti-Islamic violence jump up here in the country. Um, you know, we're, it's a different world th today than it was before 2001 or September 11th, 2001. Absolutely, Devin. Um, I, I think that that day will forever be kind of, you know, painted and etched into everyone's memory. We'll always be, you know, commemorating it every year. Uh, and of course, I, I know that, you know, after that attack, I can only imagine if you were, you know, an Islamic or Muslim, you know, American, um, you know, what people, you know, 
said to you or how people treated you or, you know, cause there were always these jokes and stigmas that if you see someone that looks Arabic getting on your plane, you better, you know, start praying or whatever. Um, but yeah, America has definitely changed. Um, you know, a lot more security, a lot tougher on, on what we're doing here, you know, really trying to, you know, root out terrorism and I'm, you know, We'll see how we kind of can pull together because that time, you know, we were able to come together as a country during that 9-11 attack. Um, and I feel like we haven't been that close uh, since, you know, 2001. It's, you know, 20 years and we are uh, as divided as ever. But um, listeners, you know, we just wanted to do a little something for the day to honor um, those who we lost. Um, if you haven't, you know, gotten a chance to go to the memorial and different things like that, it's an awesome exhibit. Um, very heart-wrenching, Devin. It's it's hard to um, uh, do it because as you're up there, they'll, you know, they tell you like, you know, this is, you know, levels of where people jumped out of the, um, you know, jumped out of the, the window and you just look down and you just can't imagine what it would be like to even conceive the thought to jump out of a building um, being that high, but uh, definitely wanted to do something to talk about that. Uh, another story, uh, this is out of Arkansas, one of our uh, neighboring states to our home state. Uh, it's about a doctor who's under investigation after prescribing an anti-parasite drug, ivermectin. Uh, he prescribed it to incarcerated individuals uh, due uh, to, I guess, wanting to treat them for COVID. Uh, according to CNBC News, the doctor said detainees at the Washington County Jail took the drug willingly, but many of them said that they did not even know what it was. The CDC issued a health advisory about this drug after it began selling out at vet stores. The FDA approved drug can treat multiple conditions in humans, including river blindness and lice, and is generally safe to use. However, the National Institute of Health ruled that there is insufficient data to recommend this drug as a use for COVID. Uh, this just rings a bell to us, Devin, because I think there were a couple of other people using some other things uh, to try to treat COVID. We even had a, a former president tell people to try to, you know, inject themselves with bleach. So, uh, <laughs> you know, from, from bleach to this to, well, I think last week we talked about what horse medication. Um, it's, it's free. You know, the vaccine yeah. is free. <laughs> you don't have to go take any other medication. Um, you can well, take hey. human approved uh, medication. <laughs> <laughs> It's the world we live in. It is a strange, strange world, I tell you. Uh, and and talking about this free vaccine, um, President Biden, I think, has probably hit his his boiling point with the unvaccinated in the country. He made a speech on Thursday where he announced a lot of new uh, rules and orders. Uh, in particular, he announced uh, an order that will require employers with more than 100 workers to mandate vaccinations against COVID-19 or offer weekly testing. So those rules uh, could affect as many as 100 million Americans, although it's not quite clear how many of those are actually already, um, how many of them are currently vaccinated. But some people are actually worried that this might uh, stop people um, from, this might actually cause people to quit their jobs uh, if they're required to get vaccinated or job seekers won't apply for openings at companies where they will have to get vaccinated, which I think, you know, is a fair question. Um, right now, uh, about 177 million Americans are fully vaccinated against COVID, 
Um, but cases are on the rise again. They've now reached an average of, of about 140,000 cases per day. And right now we're averaging about a thousand Americans who are dying from this virus on the daily. And so um, with the total uh, deaths being over 650,000 since January of 2020. So uh, sort of a, a vaccine mandate is coming, but only for employers who have more than 100 employees. So that's a lot of folks. Even where I work at, we would be impacted by that, but I'm already vaccinated. So it's not an issue for me. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, people believe what they want to, but I, I think back throughout history and every major illness that the American population has gone through and the world has gone through, we would not have eradicated it without medication, without, you know, vaccinations, without, you know, you know, you, you, the body doesn't just, you know, just heal over these things. It's not, you know, survival of the fittest. We don't have to live, you know, like we did, you know, <laughs> thousands of years ago. We've got, you know, modern medicine and science. Like, I just, I just don't get why we're still, you know, going through this when there are readily available appointments and shots just ready for, you know, for people's arms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, let's just, just go do it. Um, <laughs> another important story that we wanted to talk to, in case you don't know it, uh, September is uh, Worldwide uh, Suicide Prevention Month. Um, today, uh, actually yesterday, was uh, uh, Worldwide Suicide Prevention um, Day. So we wanted to kind of make sure to uh, talk about this a little bit. And uh, Devin actually found this story to kind of tie it to our, our community, uh, particularly with our, our youth and adolescents. Uh, for more than a decade, suicide rates have actually been increasing in black children and adolescents. And a new study suggests that the sharpest rise is actually occurring amongst our young girls. The study, published on Thursday in the Journal of American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, found that just over 1,800 black children died by suicide between 2003 and 2017. And while most of the deaths were among boys, especially those ages 15 to 17, the gender gap is narrowing. The suicide rate of the girls increased an average of 6.6% each year, more than twice the increase for boys, the study said. Nearly 40% of the girls were 12 to 14 years old, indicating that this age group may need additional attention or different types of interventions. Mortality data suggests that the suicide rates of U.S. teenagers and young adults remain highest in boys, particularly whites, Native Americans, and Alaskan Natives. But in recent years, researchers have found that the suicide rate of Black youth is increasing. A study published in May, for example, found that the suicide rate of Black males ages 15 to 24 has risen uh, by 47% between 2013 and 2019, and by 59% for Black females of the same age, but it is decreased in white, uh, uh, decreased for white youth. Um, so that's interesting, Devin. Um, you know, we, we've done a lot of episodes on mental health. I think we've done, you know, three or four. I don't that's maybe mm-hmm. not a lot, but, you know, for, for three seasons. Um, and it's one of those things that we just, it still never gets talked about enough. I feel like, you know, especially in minority communities, because you've got situations where you can't really uh, assess your mental health because you're taking care of multiple kids as a single parent 
Or if you're a child and you're going through that as a, you know, a, a child with a single parent, you know, you're getting neglected. You're, you're not getting the attention you need. You're probably not getting the proper resources you need, depending on what community you're in. So, yeah, there are I can imagine there there are a lot of kids struggling. Yeah, there are. I mean, in, <clears throat> you got to think about it, too, with the rise of social media and and these online apps and things. There is a competition out there. Rightly or wrongly, there's a competition for attention. Everybody wants to be accepted. You want the most likes in your pictures. And especially for girls, it can be very hard um, because it is very looks driven. So you want to when you post a picture, you want people to like it and comment and say, hey, you look very good or something like that. But it can be frustrating. And, you know, we didn't give these kids a manual on how to handle the stuff they're seeing online. They don't know how to handle someone saying something negative to them and not to take it internally. So we just have to make sure, you know, you look those around you, those, the youngest around you that you talk to them and just check in and say, Hey, how are you? Talk to them for 20 minutes a day, just to make sure that they're okay. You may not think the problems in our world are that big, but to them, they're humongous. (laughs) To us, it might seem trivial, but just make sure you keep an eye out because you never know what people are dealing with. no, No matter the age. So we have to make sure we look out for each other and encourage going to therapy, seeing a psychologist. We have to get rid of that stigma, too, uh, in order to, for us to fix this problem for sure. And so uh, we just want to make sure we touch on that because this is Suicide Prevention Month. And so, again, uh, push that awareness and just you know look out for those around you. Um, so, yeah, so that's a, a really nice story. And we just want to make sure we bring that up to you. So we're going to move on here. Uh, move up to Capitol Hill, our last story before the break here, talking about uh, the Biden's uh, infrastructure bill, which is being held up by you-know-who, which is Senator Joe Manchin, um, supposed a Democrat, really kind of a Republican, <laughs> but uh, Senator Joe Manchin and Bernie Sanders are you know, hurling towards a showdown over President Biden's uh, $3.5 trillion spending plan as they've pretty much drawn red lines around their legislative priorities. Uh, but the White House and Democratic leaders will need to figure out a way to bring them together and satisfy their contradictory demands or suffer a massive defeat of the party's top top goals. And so Bernie Sanders has actually asked about the relationship between uh, the two and a former uh, a former mansion aide added, there is no relationship. Uh, they do not talk. Uh, Bernie Sanders has already signaled frustration with the hyper focus on his moderate colleagues, uh, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. He refers to them. He said he's tired of talking about Mr. Manchin and Miss Cinema. And so uh, Adrian just got, got to let you know that's in frustration there uh, with Joe Manchin kind of standing in the way of, um, you know, what is progress, <laughs> essentially. I I am frustrated with Mr. Manchin and Miss Cinema <laughs> as well, as Bernie would say. And the reason why is because you know, President Biden has outlined how he plans on paying for this, and it's through taxation. Um, you've got, you know, Senate Finance Committee Chairman uh, Ron Wyden uh, from Oregon. You know, he proposed, you know, two new tax proposals um, to kind of help to fund this, uh, where one proposal is creating a 2% tax on publicly traded companies on doing their stock buybacks, because a lot of the times they do that to give, you know, CEOs bonuses. And another thing he's doing is to help to tax partnerships in a way to prevent wealthy investors and corporations from evading taxes. 
Um, he also said, well, his office said that, you know, one, you know, proposal would create about, a, you know, 172 billion over 10 years. The other is about a hundred billion. Uh, and this is what it's about, Devin. You know, I, you know, I always tell people that's what, you know, the rich and corporations should do. I mean, you know, you know, uh, Amazon, Jeff Bezos would not be worth as much as they are if if I didn't shop from it, if we didn't shop <laughs> from it. So it's fair for them to pay for our infrastructure. So if you live in, you know, a state or I guess, Joe, if you live in uh, what was was it uh, West Virginia West where Virginia. Joe Manchin is, I, Cinema, that's Arizona, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, if you live in Arizona or uh, West Virginia, please call your senators. Uh, let them know that we we want free internet. We, we want you know public you know uh, uh, you know care for our, our citizens. We just we just want to be in a, 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 a society that government actually provides in the inefficiencies of the market, and that's what that's what we have in America. Um, so what we're going to do, listeners, we're going to take a, a break here. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to get into our second segment. We actually got a lot of great news, uh, a couple of uh, follow ups on some things that we talked about last week. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Enjoy the music. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So we're going to get back into some news. Like Adrian said, a lot of great news uh, and a couple updates. So our very first update, we talked about this last week. Uh, but we got an update now about the Texas abortion law that has now gone into effect. Some news about that. The Justice Department has now decided to sue Texas over their new state law that bans most abortions. And the uh, DOJ is arguing that it was enacted, uh, quote, in open defiance of the Constitution, end quote. And so this new lawsuit, which was filed Thursday in federal court in Texas, uh, asked a federal judge to declare the law invalid. Uh, and to enjoin its enforcement and protect the rights that Texas has violated. And so the Justice Department argues that the law on the law unlawfully infringes on the constitutional rights of women and violates the supremacy clause of the Constitution, which says federal law supersedes state law. And so federal officials are also concerned that other states could enact similar laws that would deprive their citizens of their constitutional right. And just to let you know how big of a fight this is, the Texas uh, abortion law is the nation's biggest curb to abortion since the Supreme Court affirmed uh, in 1973 the decision Roe versus Wade that women have a constitutional right to an abortion. So uh, this is going to be a long, nasty fight. It's probably going to go into next year. We just want to give you that update that the DOJ um, is involved in this is suing the state of Texas over their new law. Yeah, Department Justice <laughs> Showdown. We'll see who wins. Oh, that. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I hope that, that Mayor Garland will actually come triumphant in this. We'll see. Um, speaking of someone who's trying to be triumphant, um, this is a cool little story here. Um, uh, Shaquanda Cotton, as I believe was her name, uh, when she was uh, 
I think I think she was 14. Uh, this was back in 2006. She was sentenced to up to seven years confinement at a Texas juvenile detention okay. facility as a black teen following accusations that she pushed a white teacher's aide. You heard it correctly. She just pushed and uh, you know, didn't do anything bad. But she's coming out with a, a new book. It's actually uh, it's called Memoir of a Teacher Slapping Assumed Bitch is what she's referencing there. I am Shaquanda Cotton. She didn't put the you know, she you know put some uh, special characters in there for the B word. But I assume that's what it is. Uh, Cotton's story it actually made world headlines in 27 in 2007 after local and national media reported on it. Uh, she even got uh, Ricky Smiley. Uh, he did a little protest about it. Uh, her book, like I said, the memoir there is a first full narrative from Cotton, who says she hopes it will be a real step toward healing for not only herself, but others who have experienced injustice and trauma uh, that make them feel voiceless. So, Devin, that's a really, really cool thing that she's got there. I, I still can't believe someone would get sentenced uh, to that. Uh, I mean, I, be- I believe that uh, there was an incident like right before her where the judge had sentenced this white person uh, to just probation uh, and they actually had a record uh, and, you know, Miss Cotton didn't have a record. So, you know, just some more racial profiling, I guess. <laughs> well, it's the same stuff that we've always uh, said existed in the criminal justice system, that punishment is doled out unequally. And this is just more proof of, I mean, seven years for pushing somebody? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> I mean, there are people who steal money from the state and don't even serve that. Like, Brett Favre still owes the state of Mississippi hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and you know, misappropriated money, and he's not in jail. And she gets seven years, and she was 14. Right, like, this is the stuff somebody. we're talking about. Right. Like, come on, man. Jesus Christ. But... Glad that she is now releasing a memoir to kind of tell her side of the story here. Uh, so shout shout out to her. Uh, again, her name was uh, Shaquanda Cotton. Uh, so make sure you pick up her memoir. Um, so our next story here, <clears throat> we're going to move from the criminal justice system over to uh, Facebook and AI, some artificial intelligence. So they actually, uh, Facebook had to issue an apology on behalf of its artificial intelligence service that asked users that were watching a video featuring black men if they wanted to see more, quote, videos about primates. The social media giant has since disabled this topic recommendation feature and says it's investigating the cause of the error, but the video had been online for more than a year. Uh, The video, which was uploaded by the Daily Mail on June 27th of 2020, documented an encounter between a white man and a group of black men who were celebrating a birthday. The clip captures the white man allegedly calling 911 to report that he is being, quote, being harassed by a bunch of black men, end quote, before cutting to an unrelated video that showed police officers arresting a black tenant at his own home. But however, in 2015, Google's image recognition software, I remember this one, uh, Google's image recognition software classified photos of black people as gorillas. Google, of course, had to apologize and remove the labels of gorilla, chimp, chimpanzee, and monkey, words that remained censored over two years later. And so clearly, as we move toward a more automated society, we want to ensure that our technology is not prejudiced prejudice or discriminatory. But Adrian, 
The problem with that is if the people who create these automated systems are prejudiced or discriminatory, it's only natural that some of that is going to be built into the very systems that we're hoping aren't discriminatory. So, uh, you know, these things are, are coming very quickly. Amazon has stores where there are no people and they just track you using cameras. So you could assume we're going to get to a day where they're going to be trying to use these this kind of technology to, you know, assume that people are going to do certain things. And, you know, hopefully we, we fix it before it becomes a huge problem. But you just kind of see the signs that it's going to it's going to hurt us in some kind of way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I've seen a couple different stories on this. I know during one of the breaks, we talked about California's bail system and it being an automated system and how there could be racial bias. Uh, I think we even uh, did a story or was going to do a story on our weekly roundup that talked about how facial recognition software was racially biased. And I don't know, I, I, I want to believe, and maybe I'm just a little naive, but I just want to believe that yeah, programmers aren't just programming, you know, racist algorithms wow. yeah. into their software. I just want to believe that. But again, I, I, I do believe that America is a racist country. So maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not, look, we're not, we're not calling the people who make the systems racist. I think what happens is, they don't obviously sometimes when they, well, I wouldn't say it sometimes when they're creating these systems, they're not putting as much effort into making sure that it can recognize us versus their Caucasian faces. You know, it's, it's a hundred, you know, it's very accurate with them, but with us, somehow it gets confused between a black person and a chimp or a monkey. Like those things, that's where it's like, who's creating these systems? Because a black person making an artificial intelligence, an intelligent software it's probably going to care enough to make sure that a black face that shows up is not going to be confused with the chimp. You know, like it's just like, it's just, that's what happens when you don't have the representation for someone of our community to say, Hey, how about we actually make sure that black faces are, you know, accurately predicted or something. <laughs> that's, <laughs> or what you, that's what you would think. That's what you would think, but who knows? Yeah. Um, some, some. We wanted to make sure some more sad news, uh, but we wanted to make sure to recognize this uh, Emmy-nominated actor Michael K. Williams, uh, best known for his role on the Baltimore-based HBO series The Wire. Uh, he's passed away, unfortunately. He's only uh, fifty-four. Uh, police said they responded to his apartment in Brooklyn about 2 p.m. on Monday and found him dead. Uh, the, his death uh, still being, um, you know, some investigations around that, some examinations. So it's still being pinned as far as the cause of death. Uh, remember that, you know, uh, Williams had played in a lot of different uh, roles, movies such as Bring, uh, Bringing Out the Dead, The Road, Gone Baby Gone, Life During Wartime, I Think I Love My Wife, Wonderful World. But of course, like I said in the beginning, uh, one of his best known roles was for our Omar Little on the Wire, which actually ran for five seasons. So uh definitely wanted to do something to uh, talk about that, Devin, because uh, another one, uh, you know, another star, another legend uh, that we've lost. Yeah, <clears throat> just a sad story, like you say, and. Everybody knows him from The Wire. Um, Michael K. Williams, one of the best actors out there. Uh, but yeah, just a sad, tragic story. And uh, you just re you really, really hate to see that. But um, our thoughts and prayers are with his family and, and hopefully they can, you know, move on. 
and so just a sad story. But we'll move on from that to some political news coming out of, I guess you could say New York. I don't know where Andrew Yang is actually from, but uh, he, the former presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, he ran for, for mayor, New York City mayor, as a Democrat. He's now expecting to launch a third party, uh, a third party next month, a third political party. And so the announcement comes ahead of his new book, which is called Forward Notes on the Future of Our Democracy. That comes out on October 5th. And so it's not really clear what Andrew Yang is going to name this third party or how he actually plans to deploy it in 2022 or 2024. Uh, but he's he's set to unveil the plans for this new party around the time of his book release. But, you know, Adrian, even some people, even his own supporters that are called the Yang Gang are actually less than impressed with his possible plan to launch a third political party because they were actually hoping that he would help to reform the Democratic Party from within. So you kind of, you know, people are excited. Some people are skeptical. You know, they're like, well, why don't you just, you know, reform the Democratic Party? So it's, which is a fair question. But it is interesting to see exactly what his plans are, what it's going to be called. But, you know, we're always skeptical of third parties. because <laughs> Unless you have a huge financial backing, that's tough sledding. It is. And it's I, I I'm hopeful of it. I mean, I I, I will continue to say uh, unless American politics changes and what I mean by changes, you know, term limits, that's, you know, the first probably big change. Um, um, we, we probably need to have more uh, parties because the, the two that we have don't do anything. I mean, it's even when even when they're in, you know, there's one that controls office. It's like they still don't get anything done. I mean, you got Democrats who you know, got the trifecta, but still don't really move forward with a lot. And I get it. They don't have a big you know majority, but still um, I, I, I hope that I wish him well with this, you know, his, his presidential campaign, his mayoral campaign. Uh, <laughs> those didn't go very well. So I hope that that isn't any you know, indication of how this campaign for starting the party will go. <laughs> uh, you know, they say third time's a charm, <laughs> listeners. So maybe this is, you know, Yang's big ticket. Uh, maybe he wasn't it wasn't meant for him to you know do it. Maybe he's supposed to reform in a different way. Um Talking about reform, um, this is about one of the exonerated five, uh, Mr. Yusuf Salim, who's actually going to be running uh, for the spot for the Harlem State Senate. Uh, he's, like I said, one of the, the five uh, black and Latino teens falsely accused and convicted of a brutal rape and beating of jogger Trisha uh, Mali in New York City Central Park in 1989. Uh, like I said, he's going to be running uh, for the vacated seat for Senate uh, for State Senator Brian Benjamin. Benjamin was recently nominated to be New York's next lieutenant government uh, governor. Uh, Salim confirmed to the news in a recent in Instagram post, resharing a, uh, resharing a screenshot of the headline from the NY Daily News, along with the caption, hashtag power post and strong arm emoji. So, uh, Devin, there's a lot of people that are going to be running for office in these, in the upcoming elections, whether it be state, um, um, mayor, uh, governor. I even seen, uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee. Uh, she's, I mean, <laughs> there's all kinds of people running for offices now. So, I mean, it's interesting that, well, not interesting, but great to see someone, um, who's gone through something, who's actually wanted to do something positive now. Yeah, it is. It's great to see, you know, that's, 
not that we want that to happen to him, what happened with the Central Park Five, but the fact that he's like, I want to be part of changing the system. That's more of the attitude that we need uh, from just everyday people. You know, we need more folks like that um, to get involved. And so uh, with that, that's going to end our news segment, our new section of the show. So we're going to move to our quick hit. So we're going to uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll give you some funny news talking about McDonald's, uh, some more lottery winners. I think we have one every single show. And then also uh, a lost dog who was reunited with their owner. So make sure you stick with us after the break. And we'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into some quick hits here. Uh, a lot of uh, funny little bits, uh, some nuggets here and there. Uh, the first one that I saw was about uh, McDonald's location, some of their strangest locations, actually. Uh, most of them have been renovated or uh, they're not really being used. But there's this guy, his name is Max Krieger. Uh, he's actually set out to kind of document some of the most unusual McDonald's locations of the world, actually. Uh, Max, who's 28 and is a game designer. Uh, he actually has spent, I think, about a year and a half now, uh, right now, just doing it, you know, more remote, just perusing the Internet to find these different pictures. And he's posting to Twitter. Uh, his project is called Non-Standard McDonald's and it celebrates the eccentricities of the theme locations. Many of them have been demolished or remodeled like the UF shaped McDonald's in England, which I didn't know that that was you know, ever a thing there. Uh, but few still exist in their glory like the Gothic Cellar McDonald's in Poland or the Fry and Shake uh, one that's in Los Angeles, or excuse me, that's in uh, Las Vegas. Next year, Max plans to take his project to the real world. He's going to be visiting 12 of these McDonald's locations in Florida, taking a film crew down there to get the story on them. Uh, McDonald's didn't make a comment. They said that, you know, they're kind of happy about it. They, you know, love unique and creative uh, projects like this, but they didn't make a direct comment. Um, but yeah, listeners, if you um, haven't seen uh, any of these strange McDonald's locations, just go to Google, type that in. Uh, the UFO one, Devin, actually looks pretty cool. Um, I wish McDonald's would have kept that, you know, for at least a couple of them, but I get it. You know, when you franchise, you gotta, you know, everything's gotta be the same look alike. So, um, but the UFO one, I mean, yeah, you should look at it. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually looking at it now. I, as you were talking, I went and looked it up. The pictures look pretty cool. Actually. It's almost like, um, I can't remember. It's from a movie, but it looks really, really cool. You should look this up. Definitely. Um, just Google one man's journey. Uh, document the strangest McDonald's in the world. The pictures are worth it. It's very cool. They should bring that back, actually. <laughs> Make that a thing. Uh, but So we'll go from uh, talking about McDonald's. Staying in Florida, though. Florida seems to be the place to be for weird news. Or not weird, but exciting news, I guess. Uh, but a Florida man actually uh, has announced he won a million dollars in a lottery game 
the same day that he and his wife opened up their auto repair shop. This is the first day were day they were in business and he won a million dollars. So his name is Brian Woodle. Uh, he's 46 and he bought the $5 gold rush Supreme scratch off ticket from a circle K in Callahan, uh, Florida. And he said, quote, at the end of our first day, I stopped by circle K to get a few things and picked up a lottery ticket. And just like that, we won a million bucks. And, He's uh, he has selected to receive the one time lump sum of eight hundred and eighty thousand dollars and the Circle K store will receive a two thousand dollar bonus commission for selling the winning ticket. So maybe I should go open a business and then go buy a lottery ticket. See if that works. <laughs> hey, uh, lottery tickets. I mean, you don't win as often, but um of course, you don't win the jackpots as often, you know, you know, very small odds. But winning those smaller jackpots and those smaller little scratch-offs, there may be a little bit of merit in doing that. And you can say that you're at least investing in education, so it's for a good cause. Um, another little thing here, uh, uh, listeners, uh, if you think that making money in the pandemic is hard, it's really not. Because there's um, there's even companies that will pay you to watch movies um, this company here is, is looking to pay, uh, it's not that much, but I mean, $1,300. I mean, that's for what you're doing watching movies. I mean, that's, you know, months rent, maybe some utilities there. All you got to do is watch 13 creepy classics and they're going to be monitoring your heart rates to compare the fear factors of high and low budget films. Uh, this is according to Finance Buzz, which is a financial advice website. They announced that they're seeking a horror movie heart rate analyst to watch the 13 films. You'd actually have to wear a Fitbit so they can actually, you know, monitor your heart there. So that's going to be, you know, kind of a cool thing. The films that are selected by the website are Amityville Horror, Quiet Place, The Quiet Place Part 2, Candyman, uh, Insidious, The Blair Witch Project, Sinister, Get Out, The Purge, Paranormal Activity, and the 2018 remake of Halloween. Uh, I am not a horror fan at all, so I would not, you know, <laughs> I would not try to do this. It, it's, it seems nice to make 1300 bucks, but I'm not going to worry about doing it. Um, I said they'll also provide a Fitbit to wear during the, like I said, uh, during the marathon and a $50 gift certificate to cover the uh, movie rental. So that way you don't have to pay out of pocket for them. If you do want to apply for this, you got to do it before the 28th. Um, so you've got about uh, two weeks actually uh, to get this in. So act fast. They're going to announce the winners on October 1st. Oh man. Yeah. It's not for me, but I know a couple of people who might be, <laughs> who might be good candidates uh, for the job. And I also feel like, $1,300. I was like, they could have given a little bit more. Like, why not do two grand? Maybe three. <laughs> right. Like a, uh, a roundabout number. Yeah. 1300 seems kind of odd. But hey, you get to sit down and watch 13 movies and get paid to do it. Uh, so make sure you, you apply by the 26th. Uh, but our next story here is going to be coming out of New York. So if you're thinking about mining some Bitcoin, you should probably not do it at work. So there's an employee uh, of a, he was an employee of a New York County. He cost the County at least $6,000 in electricity bills by allegedly secretly installing dozens of machines at his workplace in a cryptocurrency scheme. Uh, the man's name is Christopher Naples. And he worked in the County clerk's office as a supervisor 
of information technology operations. And he is charged with counts that include public corruption, rand larceny and computer trespass. Uh, Naples is 42 and he has worked for the county since 2000. They allege that he put 46 devices throughout the county center in Riverhead, New York, in locations like an unused electrical wall panel or underneath the floorboards. At least some of the devices have been in place since February of this year. He's accused of using these devices to mine Bitcoin and other types of cryptocurrency. Uh, And if you don't know, cryptocurrency units are created by computers solving complex math equations. And the process can result in heavy electricity usage and high cooling costs. Um, He is currently facing 15 years for his, uh, I guess you can call them crimes. And um, I wonder if they're going to make him pay that $6,000 electricity bill, too. <laughs> Jeez. I, I know that that's uh i don't know somebody's gotta pay for it that, that's not nothing's free in our world somebody's gotta pay for that <laughs> i hope Even you make some money it's free right now somebody paid for it on the front end yes they <laughs> did no, somebody no such thing as a free lunch <laughs> <laughs> uh another story here so this isn't funny it's you know heartfelt i guess it could be funny if um if you were you know uh, a passenger on the bus, maybe, but there was a lost dog in England who was reunited uh, reunited with its owner after climbing a broad uh, city bus. Uh, passengers on the bus realized that the canine was actually riding solo. It was a really, really smart dog. You know, if, if it could uh, know where to go on the bus. Uh, passengers aboard the Plymouth City bus on Tuesday said the dog followed a human passenger onto the vehicle, and it was a short time later when they discovered the human was not accompanying the canine. Concerned riders posted pictures of the dog to social media in the hopes of finding its owners and an administrator on the on the Plymouth UK Pets Lost and Found group later confirmed the dog had been reunited with its family. Uh, one of the passengers had quoted saying, uh, we get some odd things in lost, we get some odd things in lost property, but today was a particularly odd day. Uh, after passengers noticed he hadn't, uh, brought his human with him, he spent some time, <laughs> spent some time on our Royal <laughs> Parade Travel Center before being reunited with his owner and taking back uh, the fur, uh, surroundings. Um, so, uh, interesting story there. Um, glad <laughs> people have social media to post and let people know that, Hey, your dog is on the bus without you. <laughs> <laughs> that's see, that's the good side of social media. That's, that's, that's stuff we like to hear. Uh, but our, our last story here before we go to break, uh, not quite as uh, nice and uplifting as that one. This one here is kind of scary. So there was a, a landlord in Maine. So a Maine landlord had arranged, has to arrange for the rescue of 15 tarantulas and one python that had actually been left behind by a tenant. Uh, he found that four of the 19 tarantulas had already died and that the ball python did not have water. Uh the sergeant said that Thursday that he took the surviving animals back to his home and that they were doing fine. All the recovered animals are illegal in Maine and will be relocated there. Currently, there is no word on whether the tenant was being sought. So um, that's going to. Yeah, that's an interesting, um, interesting story there. 19 tarantulas and a python. I don't know what they were planning on doing, <laughs> but 
I don't know, Adrian. If I would have walked in and saw that, I probably would have just walked out and said, hey, it's just. That's just <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan happen. of snakes or uh, spiders. Um, and you got both of them at the same time. And you got a <laughs> lot of spiders. Tarantulas are, yes. are very creepy. They're hairy and big. So, um, And they, I think they've got really big fangs as well. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine seeing 15 of them suckers like you know, walking around like, uh-uh. No. Yeah, you have to call somebody <laughs> else. Call a professional. That's. Yeah. But don't call the that. landlord. Call the professional. <laughs> I want to see the tenant. They need to find the tenant and be like, bro, what are you doing? Are you trying to yeah, start a little I mean, thing? Or? <laughs> I, I get having exotic pets. Because um, I, I imagine you had them in some sort of uh aquarium terrarium or or something i don't know what it would be called for tarantulas and 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 a snake or whatever but um just i mean dogs cats birds you know rodents like just be normal (laughs) if you want to be a little exotic maybe get a lizard um but you don't need to get a snake or a tarantula tarantula. come on (laughs) (laughs) why would you want a pet spider like right like i guess you're just trying to excite you know get some excitement in your life uh so you can i don't know show that off when you bring a date to the house i don't know uh but yeah that's that's gonna do it listeners uh for our weekly roundup as far as the news and our quick hits so we enjoy we love laughing and talking about these crazy stories but also some big news from the week so uh that's gonna do it for that section so we're gonna take a quick break Give you some more music, and when we come back, we'll tell you what's coming up on the show. Uh, Some big, some really, really good episodes are coming. So make sure you stick around and hear that, and then we'll get you out of here. So stick with us, and we'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda Podcast, hosted by Adrian Guess and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So, as always, we like to give you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. We got a lot to look forward to, uh, so make sure you listen. And so, first up, on Tuesday, September 14th, we'll be back with you with a regular uh, episode. This time, we're talking about the Bill Cosby case. And so, our guest for that show is, uh, his name is Damian Jackson. He's a criminal defense attorney and partner with Riley McDevitt and Heinrich Law Firm in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So we're going to talk with him and really break down the Bill Cosby case and, and kind of explain exactly what happened, the charges that he faced, how he ended up in prison, and how he was ultimately released just a couple months ago. Uh, so make sure you tune in for that very good episode explaining the Bill Cosby case that is coming out on Tuesday, September 14th. And then Coming up just a couple days later, on Thursday, September 16th, we're releasing a special episode about uh, marijuana policy. And so this uh, this one will feature an interview with the executive director of the Marijuana Policy Project. His name is uh, Steve Hawkins. So make sure you tune in on Thursday for a good conversation with him about marijuana policy. 
And then to wrap up the week, we'll be back, of course, with you next Saturday, uh, September 18th, to bring you more news from the past week. So a jam-packed week next week. Three episodes coming out on Tuesday the 14th. You got the case against Bill Cosby. Thursday, September 16th, we're talking about marijuana policy. And then uh, Saturday, September 18th, bringing you more news. Weekly roundup number 14. So make sure you tune in next week. A really good lineup coming. Uh, and also, before we go, we you know we love it when you listen to us and download the podcast and support us in that way. But you can actually donate to us. We do have some ways for you to do that. I'm um, an agent's gonna kind of let you know how you can give us a little bit of your hard-earned money. Absolutely, uh, getting uh, a law degree and an MBA is not cheap. But no, I'm just joking. Your money's not going to that. It would be nice, but it's not. Uh, what your money is actually going to, listeners. Uh, could be going to rather uh, is making um, our jobs a lot easier. Um, obviously, it costs money for us to run our podcast. Uh, you got to pay for Podbean and Altitude, uh, but we want to do a lot more than that. So the best thing to do is just go to our website, com and click that donate tab. Um, if you're listening on the Podbean app, there's a donate button as you're listening that you can click on. But whenever you make a contribution to us, aside from, you know, sharing and listening to our episodes, but you make that monetary contribution, uh, that really means something because um, that means that you really believe in what we're doing enough that you don't mind giving us uh, monetary you know, value that you know, says that you believe that. Uh, and we would appreciate it because we're trying to do some great things. Uh, one day you're going to see Dev and I on, on the news, you know, talking about starting some organization. And you'll be a part of that. So we'll appreciate every dollar and cent you give us. The other thing that we like to do to, you know, be a little altruistic and charitable is recognize another organization who's also fighting for change and trying to do some good in our society. The organization that we've chosen for our charity of the month for September is 100 Black Men of America. The mission of the 100 Black Men of America is to improve the quality of life within our communities and enhance educational and economic opportunities for all African-Americans. The 100 seeks to serve as a beacon of leadership by utilizing our diverse talents to create environments where our children are motivated to achieve and to empower our people to become self-sufficient shareholders in the economic and social fabric of the communities that they serve. So really, really awesome mission there. Um, they're doing some great things. Go check them out. Uh, we'll be promoting them throughout the month. Uh, and like I said, go to our website, blackageinthepod.com, and click that donate tab. Like I say, every episode, start giving. That's right. Check check out 100 Black Men of America, but also check out how you can donate to the Black Agenda. Um, we would absolutely appreciate it. Other thing we'll appreciate is if you're liking our, our social media content, you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you're sharing the things that we're putting out, uh, you should be following us, following us. But if you're not, make sure you go ahead, pull your phone out, open up Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and type in at Black Agenda Pie. Use the at symbol Black Agenda Pie. That's our handle. Make sure you follow us on all the platforms. We try to put out some really good content. Uh, just to let you know what's going on in the world. So make sure you like us, follow us, and share our content. Again, our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. Um, you can also find us on YouTube. Just search the Black Agenda Podcast, and we have some really great content up there. 
uh, with some great conversations and interviews with guests and experts. And so, again, me and Adrian love doing this and bring you the news. And so we have a, a jam-packed week coming up next week. So make sure you tune in for that. And um, until then, we'll catch you guys next time.